0: Go to ADT.com today or call 1 800 ADT ASAP.
1: Let's get down for East <laughs>
0: Hello, and welcome to Nerf This, the eSports show only slightly more noticeable than a Facebook gaming stream. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and joining me once again is famous saxophonist Seven. Hello, sir.
1: Brutal, brutal intro there. I have to to tell you. (laughs) I was going to call you the careless whisperer to my uh, George Michael. Oh, I was talking about the Facebook part. I was talking about the Facebook (laughs) part. Yeah, so for those of you not getting the inside joke because it's happening to me right now, there's evidently something going on nearby the office and there's some random person out there who's, I'm assuming, was playing a saxophone and is still stuck under a car, maybe being assaulted by pigeons. I don't know what it is. It's just been a bunch of random notes for like the last hour. And uh, it may have stopped. So if you hear a saxophone or me like just beating someone with their own saxophone, uh, that's, Just that's, ignore it. That's the joke. Yeah, All let right. it go. Well, other than saxophones,
0: we've got a jam-packed show this week. We're going to analyze uh, the first ever Overwatch League Season 1 playoff, which I'm pretty stoked about. We also have some expansion in esports, both in the NBA as well as in Call of Duty And we're going to talk about the ninja phenomenon continuing, Seven's favorite topic. Uh, A lot of Fortnite stuff to get to. And apparently, uh, we've invented a new disease and all of us have it. So uh, stay tuned for that. It's like a local news headline. Like, what disease did doctors just discover that you will not be able to get rid of? And no, it is not sexually transmitted, thankfully. But first, (laughs) let's talk about the business of streaming. So as all of you probably know at this point, E3 was this past week. And one of the uh, things playing out at E3 that isn't as obvious as, you know, the game trailer releases and uh, DLC announcements and things of that nature is that Facebook.gg was there. That's right. For the uh, 56,000 of you that participate in Facebook gaming, they were there to uh, have a larger presence as they go up against the Twitches of the world and the YouTube gamings of the world and the mixers of the world. And, I mean, I guess they have to do it, right? Like, there's so much gaming going on, and streaming and gaming is such a big deal that you have to get some chunk of that. And numbers would say, with roughly two-thirds of U.S. adults uh, visiting Facebook and three-quarters of those visiting daily, there's got to be some gamers there somewhere. But clearly, at least based on these initial numbers, <laughs> they're not watching those gaming on Facebook
1: well i mean they've doubled (laughs) but it's
0: still so have we just now two two people have now tuned into the show us and facebook equal growth
1: in the uh streaming oh actually saxophone guy saxophone guy is uh we've we tripled i think we we are on our way analytics and demographics on saxophone guy (laughs) so i mean i get it like facebook's really trying to like double down on video not just like short form like actual video stuff but they're trying to get into gaming they're uh, pretty much way late to it, which is ironic being that they had the whole Facebook gaming platform a long time ago, but they chose not to do much else. Yep. And so they're trying to get into it with a couple of different exclusive deals. Was it uh, ECS? I think is uh, the yeah. Yeah. it's ECS, I believe. And so ESL pro league, but um, uh, ESL pro league, whatever. Anyways, ECS, I believe is also uh, locked into Facebook and We've seen even then like it in just, the past. Yeah. Yeah. Which here is the dorm. It, Again, it feels like whenever somebody goes there and they lock themselves into like a deal with Facebook and Facebook Gaming like it just it doesn't do well or it just gets forgotten. And that's not good news for anybody.
0: No, it's I mean, we've seen this in general. We talked about this a lot when Twitter started making a big deal about their esports acquisitions from a content perspective and it's outside of the core use of the platform. And that makes it challenging. And I think Twitter and Facebook have different versions of this issue, but they both have discoverability issues. Like, it is hard to discover where the gaming content is, when it's going live. A lot of that is algorithmically generated as opposed to, like, you and I just going to Twitch and seeing it on the main page because a lot of people are watching it and doing a thing. And that does put Facebook in a weird position. And we've talked in the past about Twitch's dominance here. And one thing that I just can't... I, I think we've talked about, can Twitch be beaten, right? Is there a business plan? Is there a tech platform that is so much better than what Twitch does that Twitch can be beaten? Clearly, everybody, at least the people at the line level, believe so. I don't know what the executive play here is. I, I would i would squint very hard at an executive at Google or Facebook or Twitter that believes that they are going to get some significant chunk of Twitch's business by doing a gaming platform. So is that the case? Is that why this is happening? Or do you think maybe this is happening because they just need to be there? Because it's silly not to be there. And whether you're getting 56,000 or 56 million views, it's better to at least have some stake in the game.
1: I think a lot of it boils down to actual... Essentially, like having good features that Twitch does not have, and uh, that, again, you, when you saw YouTube jump into it, they really catered to their the people that were already on YouTube, right? Not, not garnering or not to trying to uh, get something that was new and above above and beyond what was already out there in the the kind of video game watching fear, uh, sphere, sphere Shere, whatever you want to call it, including Shere. vanity
0: names, because they clearly weren't right. going to bring those to the party.
1: Right, you had to have so many followers to even get a vanity name, which, which as we, I think we talked about back in the day, it was just like you just blocked out people who want to jump in and start streaming who aren't already YouTubers. So, and I think that was just a bad move on their part. Um, and then there was actually something that was recently popped up where you're starting to see uh, somebody was claiming that in. Uh, it's a common thing for YouTubers to throw up a video into their YouTube stream, not stream, but their actual channel saying, hey, I'm going live on Twitch because that sends out a notification to everybody who's a subscriber, like a new video popped up, but it's saying, hey, I'm going live on Twitch. And what ha- what has happened is, is somebody recently uh, who's a fairly sizable gamer got a strike against them for spam. And so now everybody was jumping on them about like, oh, you're just doing it because you're trying to protect your platform and blah, 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 blah. blah. But really it's it boiled down to the person just like threw up an image with some text on it and didn't actually say anything, do anything. It was literally just, uh, it was exactly that. It was a spam message to his followers or his subscribers. And so there there's, sorry, I, that was just like a weird tangent, but it's again, it's, it's you're, you're seeing these people like YouTube who have lost their hold and now uh, because they've lost their hold and they haven't really catered to that audience, that audience is, is actively fighting against them or assuming they're doing the worst when technically they weren't. right. But I guess that rule's always been there, but then now they're starting to enforce it more, supposedly. Yeah, they're in but- a weird spot because when you're a video company,
0: and you are not leading the next wave of video. Like they have right. never really nailed live streaming, generally speaking, right? Like when when the whole Meerkat and uh, Periscope fad came out, you know, before we had live videos on Instagram, mm-hmm. and things of that nature. YouTube launched YouTube Live, and you know, people use it. It's not like it's an unused feature, but it's just a feature, right? It's not an entire product. And but they fell behind other live streaming platforms, and we've seen Twitch make a successful pivot into expanding the type of content that they're willing to have streamed on their platform. We've seen this a bit with IRL being the most obvious example. And taking away a core piece of what potentially could be streaming live on Twitch. Or, I'm sorry, on YouTube. So you end up in this weird scenario where they're no longer leading in this particular video space. Now, they still have some claim in the gaming market, to be clear here. I mean, what, Fortnite, for example, the Ninja event, like where it was what, 1.5 million people tuned into that on YouTube? So they can get gamers to the platform. But can they do it in enough volume, either via this type of streaming or via continuing to chip away at Twitch, that it's really meaningful to them? There's a huge difference between having a one-off event, getting a one and a half million, and consistently pulling in tens to hundreds of millions of, of users on a daily basis specifically for gaming. And that's the part that's tough. Like you can sit there and throw those those marquee milestone numbers out there, but that's right. not really going to move the needle business-wise.
1: So there's a couple of like innovative things that uh, other platforms have done. But unfortunately, when you have, when you're the size of Twitch, you can, uh, in some of these features, kind of pivot quickly and also remove the fact that that's a bonus that uh, say Mixer has. So for instance, Mixer has the FTL, which is allows like, basically it's a super low latency. People can interact with the the channel. Yep. Uh, and there's it's it's kind of like an extent. They also have like extensions that kind of go off of that. Well, Twitch did the same thing in a lot of like a low latency mode. So, getting you know trying to do the latency game with somebody whose backbone is Amazon, you're going to lose that one, right? Like <laughs> you're just going to. And then uh, for instance, we we talked about like YouTube trying to just can they get enough people on that platform? Well, they've not added even anything that I can think of that's even remotely good um, that is remotely different from from being on Twitch. No. and they're there they have a discoverability problem because even when you go to say a, a channel a games channel it's hard to tell who is live what's recorded what's just yep. videos from like your what you subscribe to like if i go to the hearthstone page i have a hard time figuring out who is streaming what's old videos and what's recommended for me like it's just algorithmically like just muddled instead of who's actually streaming so It's because there's a lack of content and they're trying to fill it and they've screwed it up. They've screwed up so much to their, their fan base. Like I said, or the, the, the gaming uh, community in terms of watching things that they just, it's almost like you don't want to go in there to watch stuff. No,
0: you made it it too much YouTube, right? Like I think if you go to the, so this month, Facebook launched the Facebook gaming homepage, which is FB.gg. And when you go to FB.gg, you get, so, shocker, a very similar experience to what you see on Twitch, but why reinvent the wheel? Why present a strange UI like YouTube Gaming has to try to get it more YouTubeified when you're trying to bring people over from other platforms when they're not familiar with this paradigm, or they're used to seeing it on YouTube? Like you said, it's confusing as to what exactly you're watching. I mean, I go to mine right now and I see crazy things like what culture wrestling what are their list videos? Like, why is that in there? Like, right. like, what does that have to do with gaming? I want to log in and see the most popular games being streamed on YouTube gaming right now, who the most popular streamers are. Instead, I get like trending, a mixture of trending videos and streams. <laughs> I get spotlights that, uh, like, like Explorer beat saber. <laughs> like I'm all right, for right. using the, the, the dirge of YouTube, complimentary content. I think there's a huge play there. I think the fact that you can show a live stream and give people, like, videos. Like, if I'm, say, your Overwatch, which is one of my favorite Overwatch channels, is doing a live stream, and you can also see their videos, or you can see other related Hmm. Overwatch videos. There's a lot of of value there. But instead, you're just getting hit over the head with that stuff. And this really just feels like a gaming-themed landing page as opposed to, like, a separate streaming service that is
1: battling Twitch. No, it feels like a category, right? It's like you're in a category with YouTube, and it all it is just has a different UI treatment. Because I mean, going to YouTube Gaming, uh, and I have people, who, I, have, I know people that work there, and they're they're solid people, but it's just like they've they've essentially almost given up. I, the fact that you go to YouTube YouTube Gaming, and you're on a home page with which is recommended, as you mentioned, Spotlight and Trending, and there is one live video playing at the top with maybe a couple of sidebars which i think uh, aren't actually live and then but the secondary feature is live gameplay like what uh, what is it you're trying to do are they pivoting away from letting gamers stream on the platform and and maybe host it as in like their own network or a show or it, it's just confusing it's confusing that i'm going here and if you want this platform to be competing with twitch then do do, like actually promote the live streams make them like i said visible what are you talking about (laughs) 1285
0: people currently
1: yeah are live with
0: fortnite and then you have the biggest by the way this this sums up youtube gaming fortnite the biggest game streaming right now has a tag problem on YouTube gaming, so it's actually splitting the audience between two separate categories for the same game, one for Fortnite and one for Fortnite Battle Royale, because they're trying to separate it from the original game despite the original tag having all the wow. Battle Royale streams.
1: <laughs> yeah, and if you go to Twitch, uh, currently Fortnite has 167, 415 viewers. Yeah. Like- Wow! I, it just the, that shows you the the difference, right? And and even so, like uh, League of Legends after that is still a, a third of Fortnite, and uh, you have to go almost to the the second or third page before you dip down to even no, I'm now on like the third or fourth page. Do you even dip down to like YouTube numbers? Like you have to go down to like people playing H1Z1, <laughs> 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 ironically, until uh, do you hit that, and it's just. Yeah. Because they chose to prioritize categorizing videos over everything else, uh, and they tried to take YouTube creators who make videos and cater to them in terms of a live streaming audience, and, and some people aren't that, that that personality, right? Like, some what they do video wise, gaming wise, isn't necessarily in person sitting in front of a camera. No, that's like highly produced videos, right?
0: Which is it's yeah. a whole different art form. And I think this is the problem with everybody that challenges Twitch. And quite frankly, anybody that challenges any incumbent as ingrained as Twitch is. You can't go after them with a single feature. You can't... You could even have parody to Twitch plus one new interesting feature and call that good. Like, that's not going to do it. They're just going to implement your feature. Like, learn from Snapchat and, Instagram, and how Instagram ate Snapchat's lunch simply by like, oh, you can do that? Okay, your differentiator is that thing? Well, end that thing. And it will give it a better user experience because yeah. we know our users better than you do at this point. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's exactly where they got to. And now Snapchat, people are not talking about nearly as much. Every feature they've brought, Instagram brought in an easier way that was better understood by a larger audience. Like Snapchat got too obsessed with like, Owning that millennial audience, their user face was quirky and part of their thing. And so they took too long. Then they over-pivoted and, you know, rebuilt the whole platform and then rolled it all back and caused a bunch of chaos. And that was from the leader falling to a follower. If you are a follower coming into the space, I hate to break it to you, but you either need to find a niche that works well for you and just own that niche and become the platform for that niche and find a way to make money at that scale... Or you be you throw a ton of investment in it, and you have to be 5, 10, 15 steps ahead of Twitch, which is like a very impossible thing to actually map out what that would look like. But you can't just beat them once. You have to be like Instagram. You have to have the resources to keep beating them, and beating them faster, and doing it as fast and better. Or guess what? You need to find what comes next for gaming, or next for streaming. You can't... I always said the next Twitch is going to be somebody to solve a different problem than Twitch is solving. Like, if you just want a streaming platform for gamers, it the ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am sorry, but it has. Now, you find that next cool thing that gamers want to do, that's the ticket. I don't know what the hell it is, <laughs> but but that's what you need to do. Otherwise, you're just wasting a bunch of time and resources, or you're just, like, dabbling, or you want the data right there's there's some arguments to be made some of these larger companies just want the data and any data data they can get is better but i think you're nuts i mean mixer is a perfect example mixer should be able to do better than it does because you could build it into the platform that microsoft owns in the xbox and in windows gaming store and do all that and try to get it but that's not even enough
1: right so well why waste I the mean- money Mixer is at least trying to do some, some differentiating things, right? And I think YouTube was just trying to reach parity of just being <laughs> a streaming platform and yeah. gave up. I, really, YouTube gaming at this point in time has just given up. It, it, if, I don't, if anybody signs a deal with them to go exclusive to it, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, it's, they, they failed to properly uh, give it any service when it launched. It's still not happening now. Um. However, with, with Mixer, Mixer is getting behind their content creators a lot more than I think YouTube Gaming did, right? Mixer does a lot of uh, promotion of them as much as they as they can. They're even leveraging things like machine learning on the back end. Um, if you look at their, um, they do like a thing called like Hype Zone, I believe, which... Did I just walk You're... into a marketing campaign for Mixer? No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I was actually talking to someone at Microsoft uh, about Mixer um, and they were explaining like the Hype Zone things that they had because they had actually worked on it and it's using machine learning where they basically uh if you're playing a match of PUBG and you get down to like the last like three people it's a channel that is constantly flips from people from player to player as they're getting to that point so you're constantly watching like the last like five it's like it's like the
0: red zone on the nfl network
1: right right so yeah, it basically, it just keeps happening, right? And so you keep turning through people. And so, which is cool, because you can just watch this and you watch the really intense moments of the game over and over and over again. On top of that, they're even doing some back end stuff that's kind of a little weird that they haven't really told too many people. And I hope this isn't breaking any rules, but I was told this uh, was that they've actually been using um, uh, the machine learning and, and to collect data and they can project when a player is, while they're playing, just the manner in which they play, like, say, Fortnite. Or PUBG, they can tell roundabout where they're going to place, or how well they can differentiate drift, differentiate between a good player and a bad player. The, the machine learning algorithm can just by in terms of like how they loot, how they're constantly jumping and building and doing whatever. Blah blah blah. Like they've is actually it, learned is this. seven or not seven? Oh, it's seven. Okay, bad player. Yeah, yeah. Is he just buying skins? Yeah, that's
0: seven. That's, that's all, AI and fight, fitus, folks. That's that's all you need to know. <laughs>
1: but, but but I mean those are things that underlying their they're they're really investing a lot of technology. They're trying to jump and throw it into Xbox even more. It's they're they're getting there. I feel like they're they are at least attacking the problem where YouTube is trying to just I don't know, change the background to a different shade of gray. Right? <laughs> so,
0: like <laughs> we have an even so cooler like icon than we had five minutes
1: ago. Right. So they're trying some like AI machine learning stuff and I think that's kind of cool. I think that's going in the right direction. I they they're, they've already surpassed YouTube in terms of viewership, right? Yeah, so hey, do we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know, Sax saxophone guy left, so we might be on par <laughs> oh, again. We just lost 10%. Uh, but I think that's that's something.
0: And I don't disagree, but what you described to me is actually more of the niche type of company I envisioned where okay, we're not going to try to beat YouTube at scale. We are going to be high-quality platform and content creation, and you sign a bunch of exclusive content creation deals with esports organizations, or you become the go-to streaming platform for esports, right? Because if you talk, like that Hype Zone feature you just described to me, that's built into the platform, and you just need to feed it data, and they train an algorithm (laughs) to figure those moments out for your particular game. We saw a lot of this with... um, I'm going to forget the name the the Raptor guys the the platform that they built where they were signing a lot of deals with particular games to have integrations for their platform directly oh, yeah, in yeah. the I game. So right. something similar to that would be great, right? Like Mixer works with these organizations and then like you're watching, you know, the Overwatch League in a couple of years and now it's on Mixer and they are able right. to do some machine learning driven observation which is actually a pretty cool niche business that I don't... I'm sure people are working on the problem, but that is exciting to me. Like, when you can get the human element out of these four faster-paced games and have the algorithm at least be able to assist them and eventually replace them, that's a pretty cool thought, and that's a business
1: you could build. Right, but on top of it, you also have Twitch, which is doing the Twitch extension stuff. They do their dev stuff. Uh, They've even got uh, Lumberyard, their backend engine, which is essentially, if I'm correct, I think it's... Crytek engine that's just been modified but they actually have that and within it they've got built in Twitch levers essentially and so they, they are trying to build an entire ecosystem around Twitch so what we've seen right now uh, thus far of Twitch is really like about 10-15% to 15% of their total vision of what where Twitch will be which is scary because you've got like Microsoft, you've got YouTube which are trying to even, like their grand vision is to get to their 10% and that's just I don't know. I mean, we're beating a dead horse in some ways, shape or form, but like, it's a, it, it, I, I would love to see more innovation. I think Mixer is more innovative than YouTube by far. And I, and I, I have more hope for Mixer than I do. And, and a lot of people seem to like the community over there. Community could make a difference. Some people could jump, I, but it's still not going to draw you the numbers. The people who are, are going to jump are going to be people who are maybe, you know, are uh, you saying an exclusive
0: streamer. Mixer streaming deal is in our future? Maybe yes. Let's do it. <laughs> How much are you willing <laughs> they, to pay, Microsoft?
1: They they also do they also do a lot of original content out of studio. Twitch does as well, but I mean they actually have like a constant. Uh, they almost went like the Netflix route in some way, shape, or form. That's actually a scary thing too. I don't know if you noticed this or heard of it, but Netflix is starting to get into more some some gaming type stuff if netflix jumps into gaming then i think we've got some interesting stuff <laughs> we will save that topic for another
0: time when they right. get when they do something more concrete uh, another little blast of the past is kind of like alongside and parallel this news is by the way judo team spe- speak is still a thing most people didn't which is why they're now rebranding unveiling a new logo in uh their marketing push for the upcoming ts5 products which is like their refreshed attempt at at catching up with Discord. My question would be is like how did you let yourself so fall so far behind? Like you talk about a platform that didn't innovate for a very long time. And then along comes Discord, and it's like, oh, shit, now we, we, we need our own version of Slack, essentially, to go after Discord. And, and that's we don't know a whole lot about the product that this is going to bear out, but we've gotten their new gamer logo. Um, I had not realized, not only did I forget that they were around, but they're still using the same logo that they used. Right. When you and I used it for our Warcraft guild
1: like 10 years ago. <laughs> I know, it's pretty awful. When I saw that, I was like, oh, oh, oh yeah, that's right. They are still using that like i can't remember the, I, I, the last i thought they just stopped updating it and it died i really did yes i had no uh, idea people still use the but, thing but, well i mean i know that they use it at least it's being it, it's used in uh, a lot of like tournament stuff from uh, like csgo they always say like they actually run like a server and some of it on the back end because it's like super low latency and it doesn't have a, a huge footprint whereas discord basically requires another pc to run uh because it's just a hog but whatever electron apps huzzah but (laughs) everybody loves Uh, electron apps if you're an engineer you you know what we're talking about yeah anyways uh but it's overhead is 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 atrocious and
0: but that still hasn't stopped discord from signing like a ton of esports organizations including all but one in the overwatch league for their official communications
1: Right, right. I mean, Discord is doing things correctly, obviously, because they are growing. They, they've grown. They've outpaced everybody. They are the thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, whatever. They're, they're, they're the Twitch of voice right now.
0: <laughs> they are. Well, the Twitch of gamer voice in chat, to be clear. Like, right. I'm waiting for the day where they get distracted and they run off and uh, try to go after Slack and we get like discord. Really? For
1: you think that they'll they'll the go down that route?
0: I I don't know. We'll see. I think there is a very real ceiling on the Discord business model. And yeah. I I have had some conversation like in, in the interest of disclosure, I have talked to this company as a prospective employer for my day job. So, I don't want to share things that I probably shouldn't share, but like I've yet to see a business model from Discord that I think is going to scale and the traditional route for this type of software or any type of software in this space (laughs) is to go enterprise because that's where the money is. Like, trying to flip over freemium is not something that is going to win you any battles anytime soon. And so, maybe Discord's making some money from these partnerships, but come on. Like, you're only going to make so much money from these token partnerships with esports teams. Like, you need to be able to Generate some real revenue. So that's what scares me about Discord is that they're going to
1: pivot into something chasing that money. <laughs> yeah, and but they've been valued at what, like two billion or something ridiculous. And, and but everybody said the same thing about Twitch. Twitch was not making money very well. What does Twitch look like everything. without? Yeah, but what looks? What does Twitch look like without Amazon buying it? Well, that's what I'm saying. Discord,
0: what, Twitch will buy Discord. What, look, like that's Twi- their, that's their Twitch
1: attitude. was. Twitch was uh, was I they weren't failing in any way, shape, or form. But they were definitely bleeding burning through some money. Yeah, they were bleeding yeah. money. Yeah. But, they probably still are in some, in a lot of ways. But there's a lot of value. Well, in the it
0: hardware involved, as, as we know, the hardware involved to stream is is crazy from a backend perspective for them to oh, push yeah. all that video. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to be said for, like you said earlier, you're sitting on top of AWS. So it's, it's kind of a moot point when you are Amazon. But when you are an Amazon, the cost yeah. of that infrastructure is pricey. And if you were an independent Twitch... Up against a Microsoft and a Facebook and a Google would be a very different story. But then again, if they were still on the market, I imagine one of them would buy instead. But anywho, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back for the break, we're going to talk about some expansion coming to uh, some existing and new, I hear, esports leagues. As well as talk about our favorite uh, franchise esports league, the Overwatch League and we're back and it's time to talk about some 2k league this makes what Two, three weeks in a row we have mentioned them? Oh,
1: my goodness. We have been sponsored. We have been
0: (laughs) sponsored, yes. They are the official basketball eSport of this podcast, mostly because there's only one basketball eSport. So there were 17 teams, I believe, is the number originally in 2K League. And for those of you that are not familiar with the 2K League, it is NBA's official eSports League. They went all in on this thing. There are in There is a full team of people playing. They have some teams, I believe, also have some, some subs. They put all new models for these players that are on these teams in the game, and they play in a studio that is in New York. And seven, initially, 17 of the 30 NBA franchises bought into the league. And we are now about to find out how much value the other NBA franchises <laughs> see in this model because uh the deadline is the end of this month so June 29th for uh mm-hmm. NBA teams looking to participate in the league's 2019 season. Now, what is interesting is if you read this, I wonder if there is a option for some of these teams who participated this year to not participate next year because I said there's a deadline mm-hmm. for all teams to declare their participation for 2019. So, that would not be good if that number went down. I think, oh. I think it's I think bad it's... if any team doesn't participate at all. I think if any team that participated this time backs out, well, that is a bad okay. signal.
1: So, the initial 17 actually committed to a three year deal for your okay. participation. So, it is going for everybody else. Uh, ironically, the first 17 teams paid um, $750,000. And so there was, um, I think it was Brendan Donahue, uh, which is the league managing director. He actually said, "I think we'll get to thirty teams eventually. If it's spread out over the next couple of years, that's very realistic." So it doesn't sound like everybody is totally sold. They're still trying to push teams to, to buy into the league. Obviously, the and when you have an, like an average of about five thousand viewership, it's gotta be difficult to to write that check for seven hundred fifty thousand, or go to someone and say hey i wish somebody
0: would pay us at that rate per audience member
1: right that's just crazy somebody, it's just somebody crazy- needs to
0: get out the checkbook these people are making 750k per
1: five yeah I, I, I,
0: jeez
1: geez. that's crazy saxophone guy <laughs> well saxophone, worth the money
0: his saxophone guy's like that many people walked by me while i was playing careless whisper like <laughs> Where's my 750K? Yeah, it's interesting. And they, you know, there has been some non endemic sponsorship here State Farm, uh, Hot Pockets. Uh, we've also had HyperX and Scuff Gaming, is I would consider to be more endemic partners. And that's good. But how much of that is just on the weight of the NBA versus the opportunity that they see? Like some of these might be extensions of existing deals. We've seen State Farm, for example, get involved in League of Legends. So they definitely have some overall esports investment. I think the NBA has done a relatively poor job on taking advantage of the opportunity to promote the 2K League alongside right. the product. As someone who frequently watches basketball, I'm a huge Cavs fan. I've seen no mention of this at all on any of the NBA's programming, which is strange when you think of where a lot of that crossover is. NBA Twitter is it trends very young. Uh, Bleacher Report, so, you know, our former employers, like tied very closely to TNT's coverage because they're all under the Turner umbrella. So you have a you have a ready built-in youth audience there. There's a lot of opportunity, I think, that is being missed to promote the 2K League alongside of the NBA. Hell, you and I, who are regular esports followers, well, how many times does the NBA 2K League cross
1: your radar? Period.
0: Yeah, not Like and we not are often. searching for things.
1: Not often. And I'm wondering if they. So they have their own studio. I'm wondering if they end up around their a little bit, because this is something that now, again, I know nothing. And it could be streamed, but like having it on TBS with E-League, something along those lines, like tournaments and so on and so forth. I feel like you need to let other people do something. Like ESL needs to have a bit. This needs to be like a dream hack or, or something along those lines. Just doing this studio model doesn't necessarily work. And, and I don't know anybody who's jumped initially into a studio model like, even Overwatch, right, it was not that way. They franchised into that after having tournaments and so on and so forth, but it was right. out in the open. There was a grassroots. There wasn't a lot of grassroots NBA 2K stuff because they literally built this <laughs> for for the actual league. Like, this mode did not exist. This did not exist in, in general as a, as an eSport, and they're trying to shoehorn it in there. And I think that's part of the issue.
0: It definitely is. is. And you, this is where you have to ask yourself who your audience is. Like, who are you going after? Right, If you believe that there is an eSports audience or a gamer audience that is not aware of this that would be interested, then you show up to conventions. You're at E3 doing a show tournament. You are at an ESL. You're at a DreamHack. You're at a PAX. Now, you can say that's not where your audience is, and you believe that you can draw further money out of the portion of the NBA audience that plays NBA 2K or is a gamer, and that's fine and maybe you don't go to conventions but then you are broadcasting the hell out of this and promoting the hell out of this on your broadcast and you're working this into the NBA app and right. i see it everywhere i see the NBA there's lower thirds for it you're going live you you take major events and you position it around Major NBA events, like there's a lot of things you can do here, or like we saw Madden be used, you position it in the off for people that are hungry for more of your right. sport and don't have anything to do. You've got some cool partnerships yeah. with, the, you know, the former D League. Like that is something that is huge. You know, people. That's a kind of like a summer thing. Like there, there there's all these things you could potentially tie to various parts of NBA franchising that they haven't done yet, and I think that is a missed opportunity. Now, they could be just going slow out of the gate, and we've operated like a successful season, and we figured things out. There's a lot of controversy around camera angles, and they've seemed to sort those out near the end of the season. So there's some positives here. I will be very interested to see how significantly this number goes up. I think that will give you some indicator of the viability of this as far as the nba teams are concerned especially when they're going to pay more money than the original teams to get in at this point means they need to be even more bought in because there's a price to them waiting and that price is you know more than 750,000
1: yeah and, and also what happens when you start releasing you know nba 2k is is a game that is released every year right and so if you had to build this special mode specifically league Are you having to build that now every year into the new engine or new whatever new tool set you're using? Technically, yes. Graphics, like yeah, you you do right. So you're constantly having to do that. You can't just lock them into a specific game. Uh, You know, they're they're playing NBA 2K on from you know three years ago, right? You can't have that. And so I think there's a lot of overhead here that, uh, from what I hear, uh, 2K hates. Having to do this, and so they were dragging their feet a lot. They were just having a lot of problems getting all this to work, and it just it doesn't seem uh, cost effective to continually do this um, the way that they're doing. It, well, like bringing in the players and the players' faces and everything else like that, like yep. all of these things, it's just not conducive to normally building the game. Where uh, large, largely, we see esports, except for um, uh, Rainbow Six is changing some things up, but theirs is mostly like just tweaking numbers like who yeah. plays what side and whatever. It's not like full overhaul, right? It's just a, a mode, essentially, yeah. which is a little different. Um, but most people, they build their esports around the core game that everybody who's playing can I- experience. But you can't experience this in NBA 2K, an NBA 2K League thing, because you can't interject your own self into the game and do whatever. Yeah. So... And how relatable is it to those players if you can't play them? That's one of the benefits of playing NBA 2K is, like you can play as LeBron. You can't play as like no. Joe Schmo on you know Celtics Gaming, whatever it is. Like that means you really
0: not, have to care all... about the actual play, player like, player the, and the athleticism of playing the game as opposed to the players within the game. And right. for a sport or a hobby or whatever you want to call it that largely focuses on people identifying with characters and playing out through those characters, whether it's a fighting game, whether it's a MOBA. Um, That's a huge part of the identity of a game. So to take a lot of that identity away when those identities are also famous people that people who are basketball fans will look for, we already talked about this being them up against a brick wall. I think another reason why this other 13 teams matter is if you look at the list of non-participating teams, neither of the LA teams, the Chicago team, Houston, which has had the Houston Rockets own clutch gaming in NALCS and have had a hell of a time in all the positive senses in League of Legends, and they are not in this yet. And they already have an entire eSports infrastructure in place. They don't need to spin up a new one. They've done it in the hardest game, arguably, to spin one up in out there. So if they're not we- getting in, take that as, as very
1: noteworthy hesitation. Right. We've even seen the Warriors in some ways. I think. Do you remember the clip where they were trying to like bring them on at halftime and talk about the, the team. And it was just like super cringe. Yes. Yes. a Yeah. Right. And so that's, what's also kind of uh, problematic. Like if your audience is the actual people in the arena or people who are interested in basketball, but aren't game players and you're trying to grab from that core audience, you got to find a way to do it. That isn't cringe. And when, when things like that get out and you've got 13 other teams, like, do I want to give you $750,000? to be cringy and ruin halftime or like
0: just there needs to be, there needs to be an exemplary example of how to profit and benefit from the NBA 2k league until one of these teams successfully creates a marketing campaign that highlights the team or creates a superstar player that they can like sell jerseys for at a, you know, at the normal merch store you go buy a LeBron jersey. Like until something of that level starts happening, I'm going to be pretty hesitant to have another distraction with my organization and pay a million dollars for the right to do so. And I get a million dollars is pittance in, in the modern NBA right now, but there's a lot of infrastructure that needs to go in place. Like committing to the infrastructure that it takes to run a five person esports organization for an entire season is no small investment like, and just willingness to deal with that. We've seen a lot of professional franchises fail with that. I mean, 76ers is a perfect example with Dignitas and not getting as much out of that acquisition as they expected. So There's a lot to still discuss there, but I'm very interesting. We'll definitely give an update on this after the end of the month when we talk about what 13 teams did get in, if any, and like what that means. And I think if those big markets are still out, you've really got to ask yourself, is this really going anywhere? Another attempt to make something go somewhere is coming from Activision Blizzard, who had their 2017 annual report come out today, and in that report, they have stated that later this year, in addition to their expansion of the Overwatch League that we already knew was coming, they plan on launching team sales for the Call of Duty Professional League. Uh, Going on to say that over time, we believe our esports initiatives could rival traditional sports for audience interest, advertisers, sponsors, ticket sales, merch sales, both virtual and physical. So that's a pretty big statement and not a surprising one where part of your business model is to sucker uh, sports leagues into spending millions and millions and millions of dollars to get into (laughs) your virtual sports leagues. This is a much riskier bet than Overwatch was it is not which is no is crazy to say right because call of duty i believe is a much larger game player base wise at launch than say overwatch is but call of duty esports has been a very different beast and you have a lot of strong feelings yeah. about this genre in general and it's maybe not so great <laughs> influence on perceptions of the esports scene so i imagine that there's a couple things here that make you a little uncomfortable
1: well, I, I think I think so. I mean, the, the current state of it, uh, while it's it's highly competitive, it's just there's also a lot of uh, posturing. It's it, it's it's basically like broad out. It, it is uh, okay. It's brought out. Whatever you want to whatever you want say. They, every every part. team is filled with XQCs. Uh, luckily, so far no pedos. So they have that over Overwatch. Um, but. I, it's the bar, Overwatch is the bar really low, so maybe it's <laughs> yes. actually not bad. Let's, let's uh, not so,
0: say that that's a good thing.
1: And I don't, and I'm not told, I'm trying not to dump on Call of Duty like worldly a ton, but the the fact is, is they, they promote this a lot of, in a lot of ways. Um, at least with some of the stuff I have seen from a social media standpoint, like even there was something like PlayStation like retweeted or posted about uh call like call of duty stuff. And I was like, really? Like that was seriously offensive. Uh, and, and you're going to go ahead and post that. I'm like, all right, whatever, you, do you your We're not just
0: posting it. We're promoting it. Cause you know, yeah,
1: right, 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 right. And, and it was like the pl- interview where the guy said something <clears throat> incredibly, uh, sexist to the female, uh, it, Person interviewing him, and I was like, "Oh, oh, really? That's cool. Well, okay, thanks, PlayStation. Good, good to know you're behind that." But, anyways, that aside, but that's the kind of stuff you run into. So, media training will, will need to be a must. But the thing is, is so from Activision Blizzard standpoint, MLG has been involved heavily with Call of Duty, right? And so there is an entire arena in which they've built out on the, I believe, the east side of Columbus, Ohio, that is geared towards playing Call of Duty and streaming Call of Duty. So my question is, Is we've seen them bring in MLG to essentially be all hands-on with eSports, but they haven't been all hands-on for anything Blizzard-related. Right? They've, we haven't seen them interact with Blizzard. They, they do their MLG stuff, which is in different games and so on and so forth, but they've been the owners of the Call of Duty experience, and now they've built out their own arena. So it's definitely something that is coming but will it be based out of columbus columbus which is really weird when you've got this entire overwatch studio that uh for part of the year is just not burning cash and sitting there doing nothing right knock on wood in theory i'm sure they'll use it for something but why not put call of duty on that same stage or change (laughs) things up a little bit
0: i don't know and and obviously you know this is conjecture of whether or not that's actually what's going to be happen but i do think there is Potential questions to be asked, if nothing else, about what they really have gotten out of this MLG acquisition long-term. And if they are continuing to invest in the infrastructure <laughs> in Columbus, then you've got to... you. From a business standpoint, it is a tough call, right? Like, there's a lot of money in the Overwatch League studio, but it does have some use. And yes, it's burning cash when they're not going, but hell, they're just going to add 15 more stages and 25 more teams, so it'll just be Overwatch every freaking <laughs> day. So I'm less worried about that. I'm more worried about, like... So I'm going to give this to MLG. I can see a very different set of purchasers of Call of Duty teams than I would Overwatch teams. Axe body spray. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, enough, like, I hate the stereotype, <laughs> but there's a different audience. Like The people the people who love Blizzard games that are watching Overwatch are the people that love Call of Duty and watch Call of Duty over esports. I don't know what the overlap of the Venn diagram is, but I imagine it is very thin. And so you're going to have to go after a different audience and different production, and MLG does arguably know this version of esports better than Blizzard proper does, um, for what that's worth, for better or for worse. I know, like, I'm not trying to shit on the game, but the esports scene is just very different, and I don't know that it's for everybody. I don't know that it is as mass market. I think you'd make the argument at this point that just numbers alone tell you that this is not going to be as mass market a thing as... Overwatch has been, and I don't actually think that you could throw the exact same amount of money into Call of Duty Esports and get the same return that you have with the Overwatch League, and that's not a good thing, but not necessarily a bad thing either if you if you scale properly and you know that's what you're getting into, and maybe that's what they're looking at, right? Maybe they know that Call of Duty Esports needs to be a thing, but it's not going to necessarily be a thing at... 30 million or 50 million or sixty million of franchise that's going to pull in hundreds of thousands of viewers. Maybe they know it's going to be their thirty to forty thousand esport. And maybe they learn their lessons from what we talked about last week in the HGC and Heroes of the Storm. They don't overextend and we get like an eight to twelve team Call of Duty league based that, you know, performs primarily in Columbus for a while. And we're going to see the same kind of like slow roll into the regionality model because they talk about territories and uh, in this fact in the story that richard lewis broke last year that that was our first hint that this was coming there was already discussions about how involvement in the overwatch league would not influence territory purchases so territory purchases at least at that point were on the table so i don't know you can make this really good with the proper scaling or we could see another hgc where it's just like way too many freaking teams and too much money thrown at it for what it actually uh Results in. And I think that plays a huge part in whether we view it as successful. And I don't just mean us as, you know, esports journalists, but I think the audience finds it as a viable thing. I think Heroes of the Storm, as I said last week, would be a better viewed esport if they just made it eight to 10 teams and made it all about those eight to 10 teams. If Call of Duty does that, I think it could do better than Heroes of the Storm and it'll be a good lesson learned. If they don't, I think their eyes got too big and they saw the money flying around at Blizzard and the Activision side got antsy and they said, you know, do something for us. And
1: it fails miserably. I don't know. Yeah, and one of the things, I mean, Call of Duty is definitely not a small game by any means, right? Like, no. It, while it has shrunk in sales, I mean, like in two thousand seventeen million, like 17 million, and now currently uh, it's doing right around like 12 million units sold, which yep. is still solid for a yearly released game. Yeah. Not a game that has just constantly has to like, evolve. And I think maybe Overwatch hit, what, 20? Was it 20 million in their first year? I think yes, yes, yeah. I think right around ish there. So again, that's with people buying it, knowing that there's not going to be a, another version of it coming in the very near future. So Call of Duty has a large fan base, and you can say that some of these people, you know, trailed off because they didn't like, you know, the fact that it was based in World War II, or they didn't like the modern warfare and whatever it may or be. There's it's a woman on the end. cover, Click or out. yes, whatever. Again, <laughs> but it's. To be it's, fair, that was Battlefield, so I'm sorry. Call yeah, that, that was Battlefield. But uh, but in all honesty, like, I think that uh, it's something that they could jump into. They could make it, uh, maybe it's the shot in there that like, Call of Duty needs to get those numbers back up. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it, it could definitely be something, but it will not be what it is currently. Like it will have to change, yep. if especially with people buying in because you see what happens when you get these people buying in. There's more attention to that group. They want to see more return, and you're not going to get people, you know, basically, I don't know, humping monitors on stage and throwing stuff at each other and flipping each other, like just totally ripping into each other. And at the same point in time, Jack in the Box be cool. Yeah, we, we saw this on XQC stream. Like you just you have to like you you have to know uh, that the just the way that the league is presented will have to change and will the already established call of duty world league, which is again, this is not, it's not been mentioned around what will happen to that or will the current league and the current structure and just the people following it even accept a, something that is completely washed and clean yep, and, and, and franchisable, or will they totally it'll, run from the game?
0: That's it'll be
1: something that scares them. I, I,
0: it has to be because I view this as a potentially more violent, so to speak, and I use that hyperbolically, but violent backlash from what we've seen of the esportsation of the FGC and a lot of the backlash that the FGC has had towards this concept of esportsifying their culture. And their culture is far more digestible than anything you see on a typical you know Call of Duty Pro League weekend. And you're right. That's a problem Like you, on both sides. You can't sell the current product. There's no way. And will the people, the core Call of Duty audience, stick around for the less, you know, bro version? And on top of that, would anybody care if the Call of Duty Pro... Like, are you going to go back and watch the Call of Duty Pro League because now it's franchised when you weren't watching it when it was the Bro League? I don't know. Maybe. But you have like a two-way image problem. You know, your current image is going to keep a lot of new people away because they're just not going to believe it changes or doesn't or stop caring years ago. And to the inverse, like the people who are hardcore Call of Duty fans that are probably going to be your whales that are out there buying skins to support teams and things of that nature are going to call it dumbed down and and you know kidified or it's too PC or whatever thing we're going to throw at it. And that's going to keep them from watching, and that's that's also a problem. I, I'm very skeptical of how well this works in the long term. I think there's a lot of things that Activision can
1: screw up here
0: to doom this thing to failure.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they could. One of the things they could just put the players' faces on on the characters and having to build an entirely new uh, arm of <laughs> Call of Duty just to to do it. But I, I think that I, I think that. It, it's a fine line they have to walk, and it's something that I think they've been looking into for a while. Maybe it's something that they've already had conversations with people already involved in the CWL um, as to, hey, this is coming, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and maybe, I mean, maybe, I want to say, maybe they've learned something from Overwatch League and how that was handled and how it was. I, sure grown. So. I mean, they're, they're saying that we've, we've, we've done with Overwatch League, we can do it with Call of Duty. And so more power to them. But it's, it's, I, I feel like this is just, it's kind of like MLG needs to finally start making their money somewhere. I guess you could say. Yep. Yep. And this is their, this is their pet project here. Here is the second tier esport, Don't screw it up. And everything that MLG is hiring for is, is all street call of duty. Like it's, MLG used to do the the touring stuff. I don't know if they even still do the touring stuff where they even had like World War of Warcraft. or so they had World War of Warcraft.
0: Oh yeah, they ran uh, like the arena
1: esports stuff. Yeah, that was them too. And they, but they also did Halo and um, but they used to go to places like Columbus and Dallas, and these used yep. to be kind of like the equivalent to DreamHack.
0: Yeah, and if you wanted to, and if you wanted to go see like the, the fact for a while they were doing joint tour between Halo and Gears of War esports. They basically right, combined right. So them both in MLG. They, so. they
1: were doing more than just one game. They were essentially like DreamHack, but I believe before DreamHack was coming around. Because, I mean, this was like 10 years ago.
0: Hell, this so, started when you and I still lived there.
1: That's what I'm saying. That was like 10 years ago.
0: <laughs> long, long time. Yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see where that goes. I'm interested from a business standpoint. You will not catch me tuning in every week, um, regardless of what they do with it. I But... I don't know. We'll see. I'm skeptical that this is the right move. I think they're, I'd rather see them put more money into one of their other games and make it a better esport than go into Call of Duty. But whatever. Uh, give us, like you said, MLG How will have something to uh, finally get behind and hopefully make some money around. Speaking of franchising, this is the end of the Overwatch League Season 1. We just wrapped up uh, Stage 4, which saw the LA Valiant actually come out above the New York XL to take the Stage 4 victory. Overall, an interesting season, so let's take a look quickly at the six teams that have qualified for the Season 1 playoffs. We have the NYXL, we have the LA Valiant and Gladiators, Boston Uprising, London Spitfire, Philadelphia Fusion. The immediate surprises here to me... If you go back to rewind to the Brian and Seven that started this this whole season off, I think the absence of the Soul Dynasty is shocking. I think the absence of the Dallas Fuel is shocking. I think the inclusion of the Philadelphia Fusion. I mean, this seems like a long yeah. time ago, but they couldn't even participate in the preseason because they couldn't get enough players into the U.S.
1: to participate in practice. That was that was uh, they were they were onto the meta right there. They were anti-meta. <laughs> Figured it out. They're like the key is not to practice; it is just to say racist
0: things on your Twitch stream. But unfortunately, that did not work for the Fuel. So I, this is. In, I mean, I give them a lot of credit here. I believe the stages, the stage playoffs, were ultimately all won by different organizations. So that is a huge win when you can pull that off. That shows that there's a lot of you know diversity and quality of play of players and teams. The Dallas Fuel, for Christ's sake. Made it into the stage four playoffs, (laughs) which is crazy. They ended up losing in the semifinals to NYXL, but still, like, that's a pretty awesome accomplishment considering where they were. They still finished 10th in the overall playoff standings. Um, We got our 0-40 and Shanghai Dragons, you know, knock on wood. Nobody will ever be as good as them. (laughs) That's so sad. People were actively mad. Like, they were like, nobody jinx it. If they go 1-39, this is going to suck, which is what you and I said. Like, now you have to go for it, and they did.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're just like uh, – they they've had a lot of issues. There's an entire – they need to do during the off season, including, like, swapping management, swapping not all players, but most players, yep. figuring out uh, what to do about 12-hour day practice days and still having a lack of communication, like – just there's there's so much going on, especially if they want to expand in further in China with additional teams during the off season or what's going on. Like we know we got to some- you, you can't be your your lead Chinese team cannot be zero and forty.
0: Well, and, they are.
1: So <laughs> we we will see how season again, two plays out. again.
0: <laughs> uh, we do know, and I think you know the annual report we just talked about also uh, basically confirms this: is there's going to be expansion for season two? probably going to, we know already it's going to be four to six teams. We know there's at least one other Southeast Asian slot floating out there. The one is likely to go to Melbourne, so... We will see how that all plays out. But overall, like I'm stoked to see the Fusion in there. My Spitfire is still hanging in there, so we've got those playoffs coming up. But we also are going to get our first chance to test the free agency signing model that was originally put in place. There's some adjustments coming. Uh, they're also introducing two-way players. So I think you touched a bit on this in the uh, Daily I mean, Show. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, definitely do. But I'll run through it again one more time with the highlights so the Overwatch League signing window is going to open up on August 1st and they can negotiate extensions for existing players or sign players only from their affiliated contenders teams Uh, The inaugural season agreements from this past season end on September 9th, and players without a contract become free agents at that point. Uh, There's an exclusive expansion league signing window from the 9th of September until October 7th, in which they can sign any free agents available. And then on October 8th, the free agent window for all the teams open up. We are getting the addition of the two-way player, which I think is great. The ability to have somebody sign to both your Overwatch League and your Contenders team and essentially allow bench players to get some experience in Contenders is a pretty awesome move and I think will increase the quality of the teams and will incentivize the teams to run benches. If you look at like the Mayhem, which run a very, very small roster... There was actually some you know, elegance to that in a world where the bench players can't get any experience, um, and obviously they didn't do great, but they did better than the Shanghai Dragons. That being said, I think this is a good mechanism for all of them, and I think a great move by the Overwatch League to ensure that more players get opportunities, the chances of discovering and developing somebody in contenders is greater, and make the bench stronger because they can get more playtime on weeks that they don't participate. But it is going to force them to think a little bit more ahead of time for what they're planning on doing strategy-wise with their rosters, because there is some lock-in rules here as well that can cause problems on both the contenders and the owl side. Yeah, we've seen this actually
1: in a little bit uh, within like Premier League, right? You've got to players can drop down. I think you can have a was it one or, or two people in like your under-21 teams uh, usually practice or play yep. uh, in their actual matches. And so it's actually it's a good way for and it's a largely used there when you have someone either who uh, having a really bad spell and needs to get back into form or they've been injured and they're coming off of injury and they want to do that. But it also allows you to get some seniority and, and more experienced people around people who don't have the experience and maybe they learn something. So it could help essentially build contenders pool of good players up in theory, it depends on how much they actually practice with them. They're not just kind of thrown in. And so it, it's, it's good that they're locking it into two and they're not allowing it to be anymore. It's also important that they they lock them out from playing that same week. Otherwise, you essentially get Overwatch League and Overwatch League it twice <laughs> essentially going on. And you don't want that. You want to avoid player burn. You don't want to have uh so much going on. But you you want to appease some of these people like you know, even with the fuel, like Seagull was complaining that he wasn't, he was basically riding the bench and getting paid. Yep. And all he was doing was basically being a streamer for Dallas Fuel for the longest time. And this allows him to play and still get some limelight uh, and uh, get more experience. And, and who knows? I mean, it, it could be that you find that Seagull has the perfect partner in your contenders team. And then the following year or later on, you assign that person to your main team because they work really good in pairs where he didn't have that. So, uh, on the core team so i, I think that's this is a, a very very smart thing to do and, and i like w- the way that they're handling this and it's a
0: nice side effect i don't think this is the primary reason to do it but it also increases the quality of contenders and increases the likelihood that someone might pay attention to what's going on there a little more closely when you start having people true you know yeah. for the i mean if you look at some of the people that rode the bench for like the spitfire for the fuel and a few others there's big enough names there but, yeah. if you're a seagull fan you're going to tune in to watch contenders if he's playing and he's yeah. not playing in the Overwatch League. So I think it's overall like a good move. So that's what we have look to look forward to. Expansion teams confirmed. They're even in the damn rules. They get their own signing period. <laughs> Let's just yeah. like... Unfortunately, we probably have until... September 9th for these teams to get locked in because that is when the expansion exclusive window opens. So I imagine sometime prior to that, they need to be signed. Uh, Will we see some, we thought maybe we would see announcements closer to BlizzCon, but this takes that off the plate. Will we see expansion announcements at worlds? Probably. Like I imagine they will do it at the world championship. Like I I think we will get like, Hey, let's bring the owners of the blah, blahs on and the 19 teams
1: playing in London. Like that's just going to be LA versus London. I think if you said essentially six expansion teams and you have essentially what, two months now, three yeah. months tops to lock them in, three they're months? They're probably already locked in. Less than three months. They're already locked in or somebody's already got the money. Like it's, uh, you have to be really, really, really close. And I, there was some, uh, we had heard that there was another team. I can't remember exactly who it was, but in Europe, that would have been another team, but they didn't have. A, Another team, essentially, to round out. Uh, the no, league. so that
0: was supposed to be Rogue in Chicago. So Chicago. Was that Rogue in Chicago? I yeah, yes yeah. So they were trying to get Rogue, allegedly, I believe it was. There was a couple ones. So Rogue was involved. Uh, there was also, Fly, I know FlyQuest was interested, but it was the Chicago franchise that they were going to lock in was the rumor, and they couldn't get the even number 14th team to round things out. So I imagine... Hopefully that means Chicago, and we will
1: see how that goes. But What, what, what happens if it's Columbus, and they just play out the MLG arena? Dude, I'm Let's down. Moving, then, then there'll be a thing that, that so many Overwatch players can only play so many games in Col- <laughs> Like <laughs> it is, It is Columbus, Ohio, the home of
0: Call of Duty, is really what we want to say, right? I don't know. We'll yeah. see how that all plays out. But I'm stoked, and I'm very interested to see what teams are going to be involved, and in. I really hope Seattle is one of them. Um, that would be amazing, but I'm not holding my breath. We're going to go to another quick break. And when we come back from that break, we're going to talk about uh, Ninja's new sponsorship and the disease he must also have. And we are back, and it is time because it has to be on every show because it is dominating the world. We must talk about Fortnite. Now, we touched a little bit on some of these items from our E3 recap last week. I, I'm overhyping it. Like,
1: no, no, I, I'm laughing because like the way you cut to Breg was like and the. It sounds like ninja's dying and you're like now like, no, you, i must live it that's how yeah, we keep people
0: it. interested it's the hook that yeah. is like clickbait podcast edition is essentially
1: what exactly I it's like did he or did he not cut off his hand we will find out after this message <laughs> or sponsor which I, we don't have
0: basically anyway. i watched the local news before this and i'm now modeling all my production around uh, local news so i'm sorry. Ninja, Is that why have the weather behind you. <laughs> yes, yes. If you notice, it's 65 and foggy over here in Seattle. So Ninja and Red Bull are partnering together and announcing the Rise Till Dawn Fortnite tournament. Ninja continues to <laughs> just dominate gaming. Dominate. The Fortnite scene. The event has already sold out, sold out hours after it was announced. Uh, this is taking place in Chicago, July 21st and 22nd. It will be a duos event, and team will get points from getting accomplishments. These accomplishments are based off what place the team gets in a match, its number of eliminations, and the number of times they eliminate Ninja. So we've got an interesting mixture of some of the H1Z1 stuff with some of the bounty stuff that we saw at previous Ninja events. Again, these are interesting to me for one specific reason, is these are their attempts and their tests at format for what we will potentially see in the World Cup and Fortnite esports in general going forward.
1: Oh, well, with, which they'll always include Ninja. I see. Basically. I see. What they, <laughs> I think they have to at this point in time. Why would He's you the not? New pinata, the new loop Pinata is just Ninja, right? Well, you know, the, since the esports esports loopin' Since Pusha T killed Drake, all we really have is Ninja. I
0: mean, that's just yep. that's kind of where that's we're at. It. I love how you just rolled with that rap reference, like you knew what I was talking about.
1: <laughs> I actually, I
0: actually kind of, sort of did not. Okay, keep yeah. going. Yeah, yeah keep going on. Keep trying. there, seven. You need <laughs> you need to be part of the call. <laughs> Someone in the Call of Duty scene would know the, what I was
1: talking about. I was, I was going to make that reference, but I was like, I think we've dumped on uh, Call of Duty enough. I uh, but nope, Brian. Brian just got one more dump in the chamber. i I,
0: I, i'm having deja vu i am almost certain at some point in the history of the show you and i have spiraled off into a very stereotype filled call of duty rant i
1: think i i'm almost certain we've done this before
0: yeah we we have no call of duty fans we've got them
1: all away they're gone i apologize
0: Oh, man. Uh, We talked a little bit about this, too, but we want to retouch on this. So Epic's Fortnite World Cup um, was announced. This is a little bit more information than the $100 million investment that we um, heard a little bit about before. They're primarily focusing on solos and duos, which is interesting, Um, but I think that keeps it a little bit more manageable from the number of people that need to participate. Hello, H1Z1 slash PUBG Esports events. Uh, we are we already know that there's no league buy-ins, no franchises for either the official right. league or any third-party leagues, which means Fortnite is going to control the licensing of Fortnite as an esport, which is very different wow. than the Valve model,
1: which is weird because I think Cloud 9 just signed a Fortnite team. Yep. So I, I know. I think I think they're just going to control the Where the money goes from them, they're not going to control like whether or not there's an actual say if e s l has their own league essentially, they can still do it, but they won't get that hundred million dollars they won't get that chunk of that sweet, sweet sexy roll around of they, Vegas money
0: <laughs> they have left that up to interpretation. I don't disagree with you, but as of now, they're standing firmer in their words. We'll see how the actions go out yeah. you're you're saying that if. Because the only way to stop this essentially is to build into the EULA, right? If they build into the end user license agreement, Mm -hmm. they can block other people from going out and starting an eSport around their intellectual property without their specific consent. So if they choose to go that route, then they can fully control it. Or they can take a softer stance, which is if you want our money, you must follow these rules. And Cloud9 knows something that we don't know that's going to happen outside of that.
1: I think I think that that is known. There's still teams out there uh, buying up uh, buying up teams, uh, players, and essentially uh, forming groups. Even though it's been said, uh, the the problem is is Epic. If you anybody at Epic, if you're listening, can you please remove the 300 character limit you have in the blog posts? So you can include more details than anything <laughs> in the world.
0: It's like they're using Twitter I, as a blogging platform.
1: Right. I, ironically, Valve it almost makes more sense in their blog posts, uh, which are generally like, hey, we had this really ambitious blog post. We were going to write it, but now we don't. Here's a screenshot. Okay, cool. Got it? And you're like, what just happened? Um, <laughs> that's a whole UI drop thing today. But again, it's just... I, I, I think I, I think the route that they're going is just that $100 million will only go towards their league or whatever. I think they're, they're, they're not going to stop other leagues from starting up. I don't think that. But I think their whole... Uh, World Cup and the way that their their leagues or whatever may feed into it will be one thing, but I think there will still be a team league. Well, I and feel like there will still be a team league. Here's the question. It's possible to not
0: franchise it, but still include these organizations. There's a huge difference between we're not going to allow any teams, and this is just going to be something where individual players are involved, and we require like player ownership of a team. We're going that extreme. But you could still have a TSM, a Cloud9, and et cetera, et cetera, involved in this without league buy-ins and without franchising. And the question yeah. is, is, when they refer to big franchises, are they saying, we are not going to court the Houston Rockets? But that doesn't preclude it's, them from, like, Gale Force Esports.
1: It, it's tough because it, the way their original announcement was slated, they said, yes, no franchises. But they also, they were, it also made it sound like they were just anti-teams, like anti-esports teams buying it, which seems super ridiculous because they were just like, yeah, and like, I I have to go back and read the exact verbiage of it. You're not going to find a hundred ninjas.
0: And I don't mean in quality. I just mean like 100 entertaining people that are just going to run their own businesses around your game and can continue to compete in the World Cup. And that's only if you worry about solos. If you worry about duos, you now need 200 of those people that are going to consistently compete. You need esports franchises in some way. You can say that you don't want to go crazy with it, like Overwatch League has had, but I I, I think there has to be something in the middle. I don't see where they build
1: this without a traditional esports org involved. Well. Well... The reason you want to at least have them involved is because they subsidize the players essentially like needs for like housing and just to give them a, a stipend every month so they can continue to play yes. and so on and so forth. That $100 so, million dollars does, dwindles a hell of a lot faster if it's
0: not purely all prize pool. Right. Yes, Exactly. Or you, you're like, yes, that's the point. I think I was making the hundred million dollar prize pool, no. but there's an additional cost, right? Because if they are not subsidizing that, and you have to make this a viable option for
1: fifty players, well, so here, here's more. What I'm talking about, so you're talking about having like multiple going on the, and we were it's something we were going to talk about. We didn't, which was the HCT stuff, where you have a ton of different tournaments, right, within Hearthstone, and it, but it costs money for players to go there. So unless it, these are all Online tournaments where I can sit at home and play, uh, or sit at home and buy skins—that's what I do. But sit at home and play uh, versus have to go to a physical place uh, and play on a local land. like that costs money, it costs flight, it costs food, it costs hotel, um, all of that stuff involved. But if you're a player and you don't have a team, then you're paying for that out of pocket, and that's where it becomes like, you know, I'm a really good player. Uh, but I, I'm not getting any money from this, but I'm still ranking, but nobody's giving me money. I haven't won. So therefore I haven't won whatever amount of money it comes in. But if you were say a top 10 player or top 10 duo team, and only the top eight are getting paid, who knows how, what the payment structure is like, that's right. the problem with Hearthstone. You end up, they, they increased the, the range of which they pay because they were having people who are like ninth place. They drop out to ninth place and the only top eight got paid. And even top eight was only getting like at the end of top eight, you're getting like three hundred dollars. It's not even worth that the doesn't trip pay for so a people. flight, that, right? Right. Yeah. Now it's you're guaranteed so much money at least by attending the tournament. And so to cover just the basic flight, so but that's the the benefit of having a team is they cover that and allow your good players to continually compete and take the burden of having to pay for everything themselves. Yep. And if Fortnite thinks that they're going to be able to build this entire model of esports around people who are footing the bill for themselves and it has to be local play. They're in for uh, a rude awakening. I mean, look at the FGC and some of the struggles that they've had, right? They've had to build a grassroots community around of it to people sleeping in each other's houses and yep. and carpooling to places. Well, and you
0: often and hear about like problem. East coast players never playing on the West coast and vice versa. Right. Like, that was the first time we've right. seen him because he usually can't make it out West. Like and that's exactly. a huge problem for the FGC. I agree. I think this is uh, this to me sounds like the pie in the sky high level idea that somebody at Epic that has no esports experience came up with when they look at the ecosystem and go, "We could totally do this different." You know, see, it's a software engineer that thinks that they could write that code faster and quicker and it'll I, work this as well.
1: <laughs> I don't know it, necessarily know if it's that. I think what it is, they don't have it figured out, but they want to. They want to create buzz and they want to see on paper. Right. Right. But yeah. will it back? Will they back out of this? Probably. And so I More think they will lot find lot. a way to move their words around to make it
0: seem like this is what. they Yeah, because they,
1: they use so few of them while making a freaking <laughs> post so easy to interpret everything. They're like, no, actually, we were no post. We didn't mean like after the post was done being you know sent to the web, then we could now do it because it's a different timeline. It's like we're going all <laughs> West like, World. It's like the it's West like, World of shit. esports. I love it. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, man. Moving on. I want to talk about this topic because this is something that blew up on Twitter earlier today. Got a lot of high-profile gamers and gamer personalities involved. Uh, The World Health Organization has labeled addiction to video gaming a disorder. So this is now an official classification that a gaming addiction is a disorder. And that is an interesting statement because when the World Health Organization does this, this means that it unlocks money for researchers to dig deeper into gaming addiction because when there is actual money involved, which there can be in the carrying of disorders, rehab and various other fun things that come along with other disorders, you get the ability to make money and that brings a lot of eyeballs. And that also means it incentivizes the validation of this as a disorder. Because if you can say alcoholism is a disorder, you can make a lot of money. If you do research and find out that alcoholism is like, oh, it's a thing you can do, it's fine. Um, Then there's not as much money in it and there's no reason. So it becomes like this weird self-fulfilling prophecy. We've seen this play out in the past. There's also this weird shifting of responsibility that became the core of the debate that was happening on Twitter and kind of where I want to start, which is where is the onus here? Whether or not you believe addiction to video games is a disorder, and I do think it is. I do think it shares a lot of the problems and chemical synapses and things of that nature that are triggered in other things, whether it's like substance addiction or sex addiction or porn addiction or things of that nature. And you have an actor, in this case game developers, that are potentially building their system to trap these type of people, whether it is because you view it as a disorder, you just call them whales. And where does the responsibility lie? So this is my first question to you is, where does the responsibility lie here? Is it on game developers to limit the amount of time that you can play in games or otherwise save you from yourself or is this a personal responsibility thing where you should be like gaming itself is not a problem your use of gaming is a problem and we should regulate it in that way
1: so but first I want to know so now it's legit that if I call off whenever a new expansion in Hearthstone has <laughs> dropped like I, I still is that like a paid sick day now and it's you an can actual actually get FMLA
0: leave for with your <laughs> Your gaming addiction is basically
1: what's going on but, here. So, uh, here's the thing: I, I, I don't agree with gaming as a general term being a disorder. So, I, I think there are there are levers within games that create a, a, a addiction. Right? There's the gambling. There's the loot boxes. There's World whatever Warcraft. it may be. Right? Like the, the well, those the 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 crack in that is the the leveling system. Right? Yep, there's yep. a constant progression game mechanics game mechanics essentially certain mechanics can cause uh i guess you could say addiction because you get this little high whenever it happens there's also addiction in 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 twitter right well there's whenever you get a notification that somebody's liked what you said or followed you, it's like it's incentivizing you to come back to the platform and do whatever. Yep. And we've also known that even those things will those companies will withhold notifications so that you come back and check anyways before it happens because you want to know like, oh my gosh, nobody I, I said something really, really witty on Twitter. Nobody liked it. Why is that? And then you go on and you find out oh, they did they just didn't push the notification yet. Yep. So it just there are a lot of these little levers that they, they're pushing and pulling. And I think some of the onus is on those companies and I don't I I, and I believe part of it um, depending on the game mechanic they're not necessarily at fault because that is part of gaming right that is part of what you do but when that part is leveraged against something like say money so a a majority of like free-to-play games where it's like well you could just wait a little bit longer or you could pay this money to do it now that to me is far worse than someone saying Here's essentially a cosmetic loot box or whatever it may be because you're incentivizing actual gameplay and incentivizing people to get that extra little dopamine rush by having something done or completed faster and giving you money for it. That is worse yes. than, say, uh, uh, you know, you have this much experience to gain until you hit level 110 in World of Warcraft or whatever it may be.
0: Yeah, and so it's interesting. There's, there's two things I want to note here. One, this comes at a time in which companies are self-managing these things in other spaces. Your example of like Twitter and Facebook is relevant because if you look at what Google and Apple have in parallel been doing with their mobile platforms is this whole screen health concept and tracking your screen time and what apps you're spending too much time in and giving mechanisms to the user to save themselves from the addiction of the platform by limiting the amount of time they can spend on a particular app or the windows of time they can spend on a particular app. So, And we've seen this in korea and china and other east asian countries in which they have put controls in the games or in the laws themselves to manage the amount of time that people of a certain age can spend in games you and i lived through and i mean quite literally lived through the last time that this was a topic of conversation at this type of level which was the world of warcraft days and that was not tied to money, but people ruined their lives around that game. Hell, you and I probably got pretty close at a time or two ruining our lives by playing way too much World of Warcraft. Like, it was the last time that a game so dominated pop culture and the format of MMOs in general so dominated people's lives. I mean, there were documentaries about people, like, rocking their newborn babies right next to world of Warcraft so they could raid while also taking care of their newborn child. Like there's a lot of crazy stories that came out of that, but I think where it crosses the line of getting mainstream enough attention that we're now talking about it as a disorder from the WHO is it's tie to money because it is a lot harder to see the human cost of the addiction that plagued people in the height of Warcraft than it is to see the cost when it's quite literally money. When you have mobile gaming at its height, building in systems like Clash Royale is a perfect example of a game that is set up to suck money out of your pocket via addiction to the game. And to me, that is where the line gets crossed. When you are no longer saying, I'm making a good game. World of Warcraft was a hell of a game, and I maybe I'm naive, but I don't think Blizzard's primary intention with the game mechanics they designed were to force you back into the game all of the time. Now, maybe dailies could be argued as a reason to do that, but in general, I feel like they had a fairly fair balance between driving a better game that just happened to have addictive properties and just looking for ways to hook people on their game for the sake of hooking them. But when there's direct money consequences and your business model, like it is a fairly new thing for the business model to be so tied to those synapses. Even in the early days of microtransactions, you look at League of Legends, that wasn't necessarily tied to gameplay. It was tied to, hey, buy a new champion and play that champion. And all the champions are, you know, we might tease you with a champion, market a champion to you, and you'll go spend money on a champion. But that's very different than what you see in like Clash Royale that gets borderline pay to win or. You get this battle pass concept where it's like, oh, I gotta get all the levels because at the very end of that is a John Wick skin I'd absolutely have to have, but I don't have enough time, so I'm gonna spend money to buy my way up there, and if I don't have that cool thing. And so there's there's obviously shades within the microtransaction model of like how much is gameplay versus how much is just like abusing that synapse addiction in order to get money out of the player. But we should be prepared that like when these type of declarations get made by these organizations and people get more involved, like there'll be political pressure. There'll be policy pressure on gamers to potentially change this experience. And that's why I think people are getting so worked up about it because if the argument successfully gets made, that that the onus is to some degree or a large degree on the developers, we will start to see some of the things that we're seeing eke out in other countries. We're seeing eke out in this Android and iOS platform stuff. Like, are we far off maybe from Steam saying that they now have a game health feature and parents can limit the amount of time or you can limit your own amount of time that you were playing games in Steam? I think that is very likely within the next twelve
1: to eighteen months. You know what? I blame Drake and Ninja. Like that <laughs> who didn't know anything about this this stuff until Drake and Ninja did it? See Would you call we, that a cultural we, we talk, shift? We we talked about it. Now now we're getting it. And- In the bad bad way. If only Jules was here to to be able to say, (laughs) I told
0: you there was a cultural shift (laughs) happening.
1: And obviously, like, Fortnite,
0: this is the... But, like, all jokes aside, this is the flip side Mm -hmm. of when it reaches this level of mainstream popularity or notoriety. We saw this during the Age of Doom and Quake and the Columbine shootings and how, like, it all... You know, those games were too popular and became an easy target. And we are in another position where Fortnite is touching far more people financially than other games in the genre that we've played for years have, so now there's more reason to pay attention to this. And somebody gets some political bonus points for raising this as an issue, and this is a far easier issue to address than, say, I don't know, separating children at the border, so we're going to talk about fixing gaming disorder instead of crying children. And and it's sad, but that's how this works, and this is where we're at, and we are not... Unused to being in this situation as gamers of being the target of having our our favorite medium, you know, vilified. But when you tie, as you mentioned earlier, when you tie financial incentive to it, it gets a lot scarier because there's a lot more motivation to regulate it and to get involved and... Uh, Like, how far away are we... And I'm sure they actually already exist, but, like, how far away are we from an explosion of, like, gaming rehab and things of that nature? And I don't want to, like, put too much hyperbole on this one statement by the WHO, but, like, it is a leading thing that will trigger a series of events that will lead to these type of things potentially happening far more likely than had they not made the declaration.
1: Man, this is such a bummer topic to have on the show. I know,
0: I know. But, like, I think it's super important because a lot of the models that make eSports successful are built around microtransactions. And, and that, like, the thing that makes eSports different is these digital goods. And where they draw the line on these things is important. How much of a leap, for instance, is it from monitoring the amount of time you end up spending playing a game versus how much time you end up streaming a game? How closely are those activities related? How far are we off from regulating Twitch? As a po- like It sounds silly and stupid. It's like saying, oh, well, this is like people saying TV rot your brain. But we, we have plenty of examples of these weird tangential things happening and impacting industries around it that we wouldn't expect it to. And that, that's the part that worries me. And any vilifying of gaming at any point is bad for the industry. This is particularly bad when we start... Talking about people needing rehab, the local. Speaking of local news stories, we've been harping on all show. Like this local news story writes itself, like all over the country, there'll be examples of you know gaming addicted kids and like using their parents' credit card and all the things we joke about from like CS:GO skin trading and things of that nature it becomes a real issue. And so, if nothing else, I don't think we have some sort of monumental like cultural shift that is going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> um but i do think that this is going to elevate this and it's not going to go away immediately and it's important that as gamers we talk about this because if we don't start putting our own systems in place to curb this people old white people are going to do it for us in the senate and <laughs> congress and we all see what happens when old white people make political decisions
1: it just becomes like the the scapegoat or just the the way to point a finger by some just I don't know, some dumpster trash journalist because it's a slow day. Like it becomes clickbaity stuff. And and that's that's where it becomes problematic, right? Because someone will get it onto Fox News, and next thing you know, the whole world's against us. Uh this is, one straight it's
0: one straight tweet yeah. from some moron with orange hair and right, right. you know, we're now killing all gaming oh, because yeah. it is yep. it's MS sixteen, babies and esports. Those are the three things that are going to infest and bring down this nation. <sighs> Sorry. This is a total bummer. I should have thought this out. I did not realize I was just going to get so sad sack about uh, it.
1: But like, That's why we threw it. I threw in the mist things, things we could possibly talk about if we wanted to. So much Say we about this. We can't and just then I was like, I didn't see the rain. You, you should have just like tilted your your camera up so I could see the rain cloud hanging above you. I'm like freaking Esports Eeyore over here. Like,
0: <laughs> nobody loves me. Nobody cares.
1: <sighs> On that I, super sad I, I'm note. Just, I'm just jealous. I can't do that. I have no base. Right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're like, nobody loves me. I'm like, oh it's Piglet. Yeah. What's up, Piglet? Yeah, How's exactly. it going? Piglet,
1: yeah. <laughs> Piglet, you're cool, man.
0: We like you. You man. do realize now the Piglet to my Eeyore intro is coming next week.
1: Well, I'm sure. <laughs> but we'll see if you even remember that. You'll come up with something... Elf, you're dumb. right, you're right. Some, some relevant joke Brian. 30
0: seconds before the show starts. We'll, we'll change the editor. So <laughs> d- Please, if you're Winnie the Pooh fan and you're tuning in for that, please don't, because it's probably not going to happen. But what you can do is tune in every Tuesday. Look at that pro transition to check us out on iTunes, Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, In, and via RSS over at our site at nerfthis.gg. And if you're not already listening, I don't know why the hell not, check out Esports Daily, which is every Monday through Friday with myself. Jules Scott, and Seven, giving you the week's daily esports headlines and results, and gives you a preview of what we're going to rant about on the show that week. And we appreciate those iTunes reviews, either on this show or on Esports Daily. We appreciate them. We did not get any baby-ass reviews, which makes me super sad. <laughs> Awkward pause, man.
1: Awkward pause. You gotta watch. You gotta watch that, man.
0: You're saying, like, what? So... We, what's the theme this week? Tell us about your gaming disorder via the iTunes review. It helps people discover the show and it will be psychologically and mentally cleansing if you talk about your uh, gaming disorder. So do that via the iTunes reviews. And as always, you can follow us on social, on Facebook and Instagram at NerfThisGG and on the Twitter machine at NerfThisCrew or shoot us an email at show at nerfthis.gg. And with that, I think I will stop with any more awkward pauses or rain clouds or mentions of Call of Duty, because we have burned all three classes of... We we kill Call of
1: Duty and Pooh Bear, like, in the same shell. I know, and I'm a huge fan of Quality. I'm a huge <laughs> fan of quality right. quality content this is great
0: this right is here. this is what people signed up to listen for that's going to do it before we get ourselves into any more trouble we will see everybody next week for another episode of lord